Well, good morning. It's uh, so good to be back with you again this Sunday morning, and I'm thankful for this opportunity to, w- that we have to gather together uh, for worship, again, whether it's uh, here uh, or with one another in the presence of one another um, in the sanctuary or, uh, or if you're joining us at home. Uh, especially as we find ourselves coming out of the week that uh, uh, we've been through and the events of this week. I want to share with you before we uh, look at our passage and our series this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, First then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so, in light of that command of Scripture, would you join with me as we not only prepare our hearts for the opening of God's Word this morning, but also as we pray for those that the Lord has set over us in this nation. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the privilege of being able to come before your holy presence. We acknowledge that you are the sovereign Lord the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, that all authority and dominion and power belong to you. And Lord, in obedience to your word, especially as within the last few days, we have witnessed the events of another presidential inauguration in our land. We are reminded to pray for those that you have set over us. Lord, I pray for the leaders and those in positions of influence here in the village of Huntley. I ask, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and integrity as they discharge the duties of their office. Likewise, O Lord, for those that you have set over us in this county, uh, for those you have set over us in uh, this state, especially in these difficult and unusual times, Lord, I pray that you would give to Governor Pritzker great wisdom, that those who are counseling him and advising him uh, would be heard, that he would have an understanding heart and mind, and whether at times we agree with him or disagree, Lord, may we honor you always in our speech and our conduct toward he and the other leaders that you set over us. Father, we pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the one who raises up and you are the one who tears down leaders. And we pray that you would watch over them, that you would guard their steps, that you would grant them grace and wisdom. We pray that you would bring into their lives godly counselors. And again, that they would have humble hearts that they might hear and receive wise counsel. Lord, as they make decisions, I pray that the weight of the responsibility of those offices would be so heavy upon them that they would recognize their need of you and respond and cry out to you. And Lord, I pray that we, as your people, would know what it is in this season to live peaceful and quiet lives for the sake of the gospel, that your word might continue to go forward freely. And that we might live as ambassadors who through our very lives are putting Christ Jesus on display. Remembering that for those of us who are in you, our citizenship is first and foremost that of heaven. Again, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather before your presence. And we ask that you would instruct us. 
As we open your word, would you teach us and would you grant that not one of us leaves here the same as which we arrived this morning, but rather would you accomplish your good and perfect plan in our lives. It's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen and amen. Well, thinking of leaders and people in positions of influence, it's been a number of years ago now, but uh, many years ago I had the opportunity to serve at an event where I worked for Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England. And uh, as a part of this event, we were uh, at a banquet, and we were working on this banquet, and knowing that we would come into contact with the queen. And in fact, after the banquet, we were individually introduced to the queen and the Duke of Edinburgh. We had to go through not only the planning phase uh, for everything related to this banquet, but we actually had to go through an orientation as to how we were to act and how we were to speak and what was appropriate and what was not appropriate when we were in the presence of the queen. Now, uh, many of those things I don't remember, but there uh, there were all sorts of details about what you could and couldn't say and how, and how you were to present yourself and who you were to look at, and in what order things were to be done. And and that may seem very strange, but the reality is that we live in a world where uh, there are times that we find ourselves, perhaps, in the presence of somebody who, because of their office, because of their position, because of their experience, because of their education, whatever it may be, that there is a due deference a certain respect that is right and that is appropriate. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the fact that as we talk about this series that we're calling The Presence of God, that we're really focusing on the fact that for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the amazing privilege of being able to come before the sovereign king of all the universe. And I want to spend a little bit of time together this morning as we open God's word in the Old Testament book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 19 to discover something about why it is that the almighty king of heaven would delight to share his presence with us. And how do we experience and enjoy that presence? So if you've got a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, I want to invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and so if you have a copy of the the Bible in front of you, if you can find the book of Genesis and just keep on moving forward, then Exodus is the next book that you're going to come to. And, And what we see here in Exodus chapter 19 is a significant moment in the history of the people of Israel. Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1, says this, on the third New moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came 
to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There they encamped before the mountain. Now, in the history of the, uh, of the Israelites, what had happened was that they had been in captivity in Egypt for some 400 years. Uh, back at the end of the book of Genesis, we have a man uh, by the name of Joseph, and he is actually sold as a slave, uh, and, and, and God is at work in his life and, and raises him up to the second highest position in the land. And because of a great famine, his family eventually are, are, are brought down to be with him in Egypt. And they stay there. And they're there for their 400-year per- period of time. And uh, they have sons and daughters. They have descendants. And, and they increase in number vastly. And then a, a new pharaoh comes on the scene who knows nothing about Joseph. But he does see this group of, of Hebrews, this group of Israelites, and he persecutes them heavily. They are enslaved. They are brutally treated. And they cry out to God, and, and God hears their prayer. And he raises up a man by the name of Moses to, to lead this people out of captivity in Egypt. And, and God sends these plagues on the nation of Egypt, the last of which... It was the plague of the death of the firstborn son. But God protects his people, Israel, uh, by having them sacrifice a lamb, a Passover lamb. They take the blood of this lamb. They dip uh, hyssop branches in the blood. They wipe the blood over the door frames of their homes. And as the destroyer from God comes and sweeps across the land, bringing this final plague, it passes over the homes of the Israelites. And as a result of this, God, in great power, leads his people out of captivity. And they begin this journey into the wilderness. And what we find taking place here in Exodus chapter 19 is part of that journey in preparation for a momentous moment that is going to take place in Exodus chapter 20 when God gives to his people his Ten Commandments. Well, here in Exodus chapter 19, what we really begin to see that God led his people, Israel, to a place without distraction so that he might make his presence known to them. That God gives this opportunity for them to be able to pay attention to where he is and to who he is in the midst of a place with no distraction. And we see here in these first opening verses that I've just read that that this is now three months or the third new moon after the exodus, after they came out of captivity. They're in this place and they're moving from place to place. They've been traveling by foot for this period of time. And they arrive here at this place, Mount Sinai. And you can see on the map here something of their direction. So we've got Egypt up here, and, and, and what would be the promised land that they are moving towards is up here in Israel. But they're in this region, the Sinai Peninsula, a, a region of, of, of desert and of wilderness. And we don't know exactly where Mount Sinai is, but uh, possibly one of these locations down here. Kind of doing this with a map, I feel like I should be giving a weather forecast. And there's Israelites sweeping in from the, uh, from the, uh, the west. But um, they have been traveling now for three months. And, and they're in this desolate place surrounded by nothing. And God is preparing to 
unveil his presence to them in a new way. And as this passage unfolds, we see something of the tenderness of the beauty of this relationship that God has with his people. We see that God makes his presence known so that his people might know and enjoy relationship with him. If you look there with me at verse 3 and following of chapter 19, it says, The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all of the peoples, for all of the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so uh, God reminds his, uh, his people of who he is and of what he has done. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. And we see this beautiful sense of the intimacy and the initiation of God's relationship towards his people. He says, remember how I did this. I brought you out of Egypt with great power. Remember how I bore you as on eagle's wings to bring you to myself. Now, I love the fact that we have a God who takes the initiative. That God is the one who brought them to himself. And God is the one who invites us into his presence. Did you know that we don't have to go banging on the door and saying, let me in. Because, as we've just sung, the Father's arms are open wide. We have a God who initiates relationship. He delights for us to know him. And the reason that God gives his presence is that we might know him and enjoy him. The reason he welcomes us into his presence is that we might know him better and enjoy him. Him. I know it seems like a long time ago, but you remember before we all had to wear masks where there were so, when there were things like coffee shops and restaurants and, 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 and people would actually go to one another's homes. You, you, you remember those times? Well, you know, one of the things about us spending time together, Pastor Rich just mentioned about the value of small groups. Part of the purpose of getting together in small groups is that we would spend time in one another's presence. Why? So that we would get to know one another. So that we would be able to enjoy being together. And of course, within the context of a small group, so that we would also be able to study God's word and grow together. The purpose of presence is relationship. And God initiates this always toward his people. And I love what he says here. You see, the Lord God 
who initiates relationship is tender-hearted toward his people. Look what he says. You yourselves have seen what I've done. I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he says, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Uh, now, uh, what I want you to notice here is, is, is that he says, if indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, this is not, and many people get this wrong, they misunderstand what's taking place here in the book of Exodus. This is not saying, hey, so um, if you want to have a relationship with me, you've got you, you to measure up. You've got to keep my standard. No, because, you see, the redemption... The rescue has already happened. We go all the way back into the book of Genesis. We see how God promises to Abraham that his descendants, his offspring, will be a, 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 the recipients of his promises. And, and then we see God rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. We see him initiate the relationship. We see that he has brought them to himself. It isn't a matter of do the right stuff, keep my rules, then you can have a relationship with me. No, it is I have brought you into my presence that you might know me and you might enjoy me as you do what I say. You see, this is true in the New Testament. It was true in the Old Testament. And this was the issue that the Pharisees of Jesus' day completely missed and misunderstood. It's not about keeping a set of rules. It's about being in intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. And out of that intimate relationship, we enjoy fellowship with Him as we do what he says. If indeed you will obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Here's the thing. God owns everything. There's a sense in which every single person, whether they want to acknowledge or not, they are all God's possession. He says, I, I own it all, everything. I created it all, everything but I am choosing for myself a treasured possession. Did you know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then just like the people of Israel back then, that God has set you apart in a special and unique way, which is distinct from his relationship with others who are apart from Christ, that you might be his treasured possession, that believers individually and corporately together make up this treasured possession, a chosen people, that they might be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, to be a holy nation, that's speaking about something that is set apart. Holy is, 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 is a people who reflect who God is. They are a sanctified people. But it's interesting, he refers to them as being a kingdom of priests. Do you know what a priest is? A priest is God's representative to a watching world. A priest is, is the physical, visible representative of God before a watching 
world. And, and so even here in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 19, what he's saying to them is that we have this relationship. You are my, my, my treasured possession that you might be for the watching world to see my representatives. And the idea behind that was that the people of Israel were to so be in relationship with, to so enjoy the presence of God in their midst that all of the other nations would see and be drawn themselves to come to know and to worship Yahweh, the one true God. Now, what's really interesting is that in the New Testament, the apostle Peter clearly has this passage in mind, because here in Exodus 19, you shall be my treasured possession among all of the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen to what Peter says, First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That same holy calling, that same treasured possession, that same physical, visible representation of God and His grace to our watching world is for New Testament believers, is for us who are followers of Jesus Christ today. Why? Because, you see, our God delights to give us his presence that we might know him and enjoy this special and intimate relationship with him. And we see as the passage continues that Moses reports this to the people and all the people say, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. Now that's the right response when God speaks to you. But unfortunately, all through the Old Testament, we see that words can often be cheap. And over and over again, we see them straying from the Lord and out of fellowship with Him, failing to recognize and acknowledge Him while all the time the Lord keeps on calling to His people, return to me and I will return to you. Now, it's interesting here as this passage unfolds, we see that God makes his presence known in order that his people might know and enjoy intimacy of relationship with him. But then as Exodus 19 continues to unfold, something, something really kind of radical happens, and that is that it seems to switch direction. You see, we kind of have this sense of tenderness, how I brought you to me. On eagle's wings. How I'm revealing myself to, me, to, to you. That you might know me. But then we discover that God makes his presence known. So that we might know him. And rightly reverence him. As holy. You know one of the things that is very common in our day to day in much of the church across our land. And as I travel to different regions around the world, I see the same thing often happening in country across country. And that is that we often talk a lot about the love of God. And that is entirely appropriate because God is love. And, and we often talk a lot about the, the grace 
of God lavished on us. And that is absolutely right because, because his grace, his unmerited favor to us is so rich and beautiful and free. But I want to suggest to you that sometimes as we talk about and we sing about those things, we find ourselves in a spiritually anemic, extremely comfortable, but very watery place. Because you see, while it is true that God is love, while it is true that his grace is lavish and abundant, the scriptures are abundantly clear that he is also holy and just mighty. In fact, while oftentimes many of the songs that we sing, many of the things that we read, the encouraging words of the day and those sorts of things that pop up have to do with the love and the grace of God, many theologians, and I agree with them in this, look and they see within the Scripture that interestingly enough that there is something else which is, if you like, the crowning attribute of God. Because you see, nowhere in Scripture do we read that God is love, love, love. Nowhere in Scripture do we read that God is good, good, good. That He is kind, kind, kind. But we do over And again, see the angels and the saints falling down and declaring, God is holy, holy, holy. And when Moses first encountered God before a burning bush, we read about it in Exodus chapter 3. He found himself in that place, in the presence of God. And God said, Moses, take off your sandals. Because the place that you are standing is holy ground. When Isaiah the prophet was in the temple and he had this vision of the glorious God. And he saw him in his holiness and his splendor. He fell down and he said, woe is me for I am undone. When Peter, the disciple, had been out fishing and he found himself one morning on his fishing boat with Jesus there before him for a moment with his glory unveiled, Peter fell down and said, away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Even the apostle John, in his accounts of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, for just a moment tells us that as this armed mob of soldiers came to address and arrest Jesus, that that perhaps for a moment something of his holiness and his glory was unveiled because they shrank back in fear before him. You see, To be in the presence of God is a holy place. And as we look at this, as this passage continues to unfold, what we see here is beginning in verse 9. And Moses, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick 
cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words to the people, uh, uh, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits For the people all around saying, take care not to go up onto the mountain or to touch its edge. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. He shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, then then they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people. And he consecrated the people and and they washed their garments And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick clouds on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all of the people of the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And when Moses goes up, the Lord sends him back down again to remind the people that they must not break through those limits. And then he brings Aaron back up as they prepare to receive from God this instruction that they're going to be given. But we see here this reminder of the holiness of God, that he makes himself known. He gives his presence to his people that they might know him, but they must know him aright. And if you'll notice uh, the uh, in, in verse 9 and, uh, and following through verse 15, we see that the Lord instructs the people of Israel that they are to consecrate themselves before drawing near to the presence of God. That there is a certain preparation. You remember I said that, that, that when I served, when I worked on this event for the queen and I was going to meet the queen, I had to go through like an orientation process. Well, they're being given something of an orientation process. They're saying, you've got to take three days to prepare yourself. That there is a right and appropriate way to enter into the presence of a holy God. And this preparation, this consecration was kind of like a purifying, a a season, a time of reflection, a time of cleansing. And we see that illustrated in the way in which they were to cleanse themselves here. First, they were to consecrate themselves by washing their garments. Now, there was a sense here, perhaps, in which in the very act of washing their clothes was a reminder to them of the inner cleansing that they needed. Because you see, when we speak about the holiness of God, amongst other things, we are talking about his absolute purity and holy hatred of sin. And so they were to prepare themselves by, by this washing of their clothes, symbolic perhaps of, the, of their need for inward cleansing. They were to 
take not one, not two, but three days to prepare. And a part of that preparation would no doubt have been reflecting and uh, of anticipating and of getting ready, kind of a preparation of the mind and a, a preparation of the heart. More than that, they were to set limits around the mountain. There were points that they could go close. They could draw near to the presence of God. But there were ways in which they uh, could come and ways in which they could not come. You see, when it comes to the presence of a holy God, we need to understand that we are welcome in his presence. But we come on his terms and not our own. We come on his terms and not our own. It might make us kind of uncomfortable. We read about this. If anyone breaks through these, then they are to be shot or they are to be stoned. They are to be put to death, whether they are man or beast. That makes us uncomfortable. And yet it ought not to surprise us too much because, you know what? You try running across the lawn of the White House. Go so far and no further. How much more before the presence of a holy God? We don't get to enter His presence any way that we want. But He has defined and made a way in which we are to come. And interestingly enough, in verse 15, uh, as Moses is reporting these instructions to the people, he appears to add something that we didn't see the Lord say, although we have no reason to doubt that this was in fact part of the instruction. It says here in the ESV, be ready on the third day, do not go near a woman. In the NIV, it, it, it says abstain from sexual relations during this time. And that is not because there is anything unholy about the, the, the sexual uh, intimacy of a relationship when it is within the bonds of God's ordained environment of marriage between one man and one woman. Rather, that is a gift and it is a blessing. But rather, the point that he's making here is not that you shouldn't do this because in some way there's something wrong with it. No, that he's saying that you ought to be undistracted. There is nothing that should keep you from giving your whole heart and your whole focus here as you prepare yourself to meet with God. And then we see as they consecrate themselves that the morning of the third day comes. And this has been up here. You've probably already seen it as I've been talking. But look at some of these phrases, how God shows up. When they enter into the presence of God, we see Thunder and lightning. We see thick cloud. We see the loud trumpet blast. We see the people in the camp tremble at his presence. When was the last time that you trembled? The presence of a holy God. At that sense of awe and wonder. The mount itself was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and now the whole mountain trembles. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder, God answered him in thunder. This is not a soft and cuddly God. C.S. Lewis said, 
He's not safe. Our God is a holy God. He delights to make himself known to his people that they might know him and enjoy his presence. But do not forget that he is a holy God. Oh, that the church of Jesus Christ in our day, oh, that we, oh, that I would learn afresh what it is to stand in awe in the presence of God. God gives us his presence that we might know and enjoy him, but make no mistake. He is a holy God and his presence is a holy place. Now, we might be tempted to think, yeah, well, well, that was then. That's Old Testament, right? Now, now, what about now? What about New Testament? What about because of Christ, where we stand? Uh, aren't things different? Well, yes, they are. And no, they're not. Yes, they are in that. We are invited, even as we heard read earlier, we get to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Why? Because if you are in Christ, he has consecrated you. He has cleansed you. Your sins are forgiven. As a holy God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. We are welcomed freely into his presence without fear of condemnation. But no, things are not different in that God has not changed his character. He is no less holy today than he was then. He has not lowered his standard. In fact, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, is paying attention really to what's happening in Exodus chapter 19 as he's, re- as he's reflecting and as he's giving this message. And he speaks about the fact that we do not now come to a mountain that is shaken and, and covered with smoke and with fire. We do not come with that same trembling sense as the mountain itself trembles. We do not come with a fear of condemnation or being cast away or being put to death. If we transgress over the bounds because of what Christ has done. He has made for us a new and living way. But then he says in Hebrews 12, 28, he says, Therefore, even though we don't come in that way, we still come into the presence of a holy God. Therefore, since we are now receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that mountain was shaken, and it was a representation of the fact that nothing can bear up under the presence of God unless he sanctifies it. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, he says, let us give thanks offering acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. It's a consuming fire. There is a right and appropriate awe and reverence 
that we ought to have as we enter into the presence of a holy God. But how do we do that? Here in Exodus chapter 19, we find ourselves in a fascinating, interesting, strange situation in that we see and are reminded of the fact that we have a God who has taken initiative, that we would know him, that we would experience and enjoy his presence. But to enjoy his presence, we must recognize who he is and come in reverence and awe. We see this seeming dilemma that we are invited to intimacy. And yet that intimacy is to be conducted with awe. So how do we do that? What does it mean for you and I today to be able to not only know, but experience and enjoy the presence of a holy God? Well, the first thing is that if we are to experience and enjoy the presence of the Holy God, we need to understand that we must first gain access through Jesus. Jesus himself said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Since God is a holy God, he in his holiness, in his sovereign power, in his wisdom, has made a way in which we can come into, the present, into his presence and experience fellowship with him. And that one way is through Jesus Christ and through faith in him. And so it starts with knowing that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have never come to the point of acknowledging that that you, just like the people of Israel, you need to wash your clothes. That is, that, that, that you have a sin problem, that you need cleansing, that you need forgiveness. And that is not something that you can do yourself, but that God gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to bear your sin, to die your death, to pay your debt so that you could be forgiven and be brought into fellowship with the God who loves you and who has created you so that you could be a part of his treasured possession. That's where it begins. And I would plead with you, do not leave here today or do not log off from your screen without letting somebody know that you need that in your life, that you want to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior online. You can do that by just interacting with one of the one of the uh, 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 prayer leaders that we have there by clicking on that button. Here, you can do that on your communication card or you can grab me after the service or Pastor Rich or anyone who's been here on the platform. We would be delighted to talk with But it's not just that. We also can know that, uh, that His presence is promised to us. If you are in Christ, then God has promised that He is with you. So here's the wonderful thing about God's presence. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to work to earn it. He's already said, it's yours. In, in Psalm 46, 1, we're told that God is, uh, is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. But you know what? It's not just in time of trouble. He's an ever-present. He's with us. In Matthew twenty-eight twenty, this is part of the Great Commission passage right at the end of the book of Matthew. Jesus says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has promised his presence to his people. 
in John 14, 17, in Romans 8, 9, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, and a whole host of other passages we see that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit Himself, has taken up residence in you and me. God is with us and God is in us. His presence is with us. In Hebrews 13, 5, we see there the Lord declaring, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are never separated from the presence of a faithful God. But how do we how do we experience that? Because you know what? I don't know if you're like me, but I, I go through days and sometimes I know those promises. But I don't always feel those promises. I know his presence with me is real. But I don't always enjoy his presence. So, so how do we do that very briefly here? To experience and enjoy his presence requires a humble obedience. We saw this illustrated right there in, in Exodus 19.5. If you will humble yourselves and hear my voice and obey, there is a humbling, there is a submitting to and acknowledging his lordship. There is a coming before him and saying, Lord, I want to enjoy your presence by, by engaging in the things that you delight in. And one of the ways that we do that is by getting in the Word. One of the ways that we do that is by seeking Him in prayer. And, and, and yes, we talk a lot about, hey, you need to be in the Scriptures. You need to be reading. It's not because we're just trying to give you more to do in your day. It's because this is how we foster a depth of intimacy in our relationship with our God. If you want to know and enjoy God, hear what He has to say to you. And if you want to hear what he has to say to you, don't go expecting that somebody's going to come with, I've got a message from God for you. You want a message from God? Open your Bible and read. Experiencing, enjoying his presence requires humble obedience. Uh, more than that, we can experience and enjoy his presence when we come and approach him through preparation and purity. Remember how they were to consecrate themselves? They were to take time. To, we, we need to prepare. We need to take time through the week to prepare ourselves. I'm thinking in particular here about when we gather on a Sunday morning. We can enter into the presence of the Lord at any time. But there is a sense in which we set aside time to gather together as God's people. And let me just say this. We are so thankful that you're joining us if you're watching online. It may not be time for you yet, but you need to have a plan for when you'll be back in person together with the rest of God's people. Because we are thankful for technology in this season, but it's not a replacement for gathering together corporately in the presence of one another, in the presence of the church and so I'd encourage you, continue seeking God for when is wise and right and appropriate and safe. But you need to have a plan. Do not plan to make what you're doing right now what you're always going to do. And we need to set aside time and we need to prepare to meet with God. We need to set aside time, perhaps on a Saturday or early Sunday morning, so that when we enter into the sanctuary together, there is a a sense in which we are prepared, we're expectant, we're ready to meet with God. I've got small kids. 
I know it can be tough on a Sunday morning. It's busy getting everybody out of the house. It's busy making sure the dogs have been outside uh, before we leave home. It's busy doing that. Get here early. So that after the busyness, you can take a moment to stop. You can take a moment to pray. You can take a moment to prepare yourself. Bethany and the worship team do a fantastic job of leading us. But they are not the warm-up act. We need to be ready to enter into the presence of God. How do we prepare? How do we prepare and purify? We need to read. We need to pray. We need to reflect during the week. And we need to repent. So that as we prepare to enter into the presence of God, we come as clean vessels. Having dealt with anything that might be an obstacle between us and God. I've already mentioned about arriving on Sunday mornings early. Do your best, whether you're at home or whether you're here at church. Remove as many distractions as possible distractions of time. Oh, well, you know what? Uh, yeah, God, you get two and a half minutes because uh, I got stuff I got to do. The distractions of technology. Call me old fashioned. I love, I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful for smartphones. I can't do my devotions on my phone or on a digital device because they start beeping at me. And then I want to open that email. Or look at that text. Or think, oh, that's great. Let me just post that verse to Facebook. And while I post it to Facebook, let's see what everybody else is posting. No, I need to get rid of those distractions. Why? Because I'm in the presence of a holy God. And he doesn't get, he didn't get a quarter of my attention. We need to give him our full attention if we are to enjoy him. And finally... We can experience, we can experience and enjoy his presence when we come rightly with awe and reverence. We need to come with expectation, knowing that the holy God delights to meet with us. God wants you to delight in his presence because he delights in your presence. Come meditating on the greatness of God. Sometimes with everything else going on, it's good just to stop and think, you know what? I don't know a whole lot about the holiness of God, but I'm going to dwell on what it means that, God, you are holy. Uh, God, I know that you are faithful, and I'm distracted by all sorts of other things. So today I'm going to come, and I'm going to come just mulling over your faithfulness in my life. Think about the greatness of God. I want to encourage you, and I don't want to come across as legalistic, and that is not my heart in this, but I want to encourage you to consider what does it look like to make a special effort when we come into the presence of God. Today, our architecture is different than it used to be. There was a time when you would enter into a church, and the very physical structure of the building was designed to give a sense of awe and reverence. It's okay that that's not the case here today because we can meet with God anywhere. But that means we've got to maybe work a little bit harder to think about how do we have that sense of awe and reverence when we come before Him. Maybe for some of us, making a special effort means that we have to be careful that we're not too casual with our words. Again, call me old-fashioned in this. Personally, I have a hard time when people pray, Daddy, 
in heaven. Yes, we're invited to call him Abba, Father. Yes, there is an intimacy of relationship, but there are certain things that is right and appropriate that we would attribute to God that perhaps we don't use with any other. For some of us, and again, I'm not being legalistic with this because we can come however, dressed however, but there was a time, there was a time where one of the ways in which people would mark the fact that they were going into the presence of one who was greater than they is that they would make an effort in what they wore. They would act as if, you know, when I'm going to an interview, I put on something because that's appropriate. When I'm going on a date, I put on something special because that's appropriate. When I'm going to, to, to a special family gathering, I put on something different because that's appropriate, because it honors those and makes me remember that this is different to the normal. I'm not saying show up in a shirt and tie. I'm not saying show up in dresses. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is this. Is there something that you could do differently when you are preparing to come in a set-apart way into the presence of God that would help you to remember the greatness of the one that you were coming before and come to Him continually? Come to him continually. Why? Because we have access. We are invited into the presence of a holy God that we might enjoy intimacy of relationship with him, that we might know him, and that we might know him rightly as he is. As I close, there's an old Latin expression that the reformers kind of uh, uh, took a hold of and breathed fresh life into, if you like. It's the phrase "corum Deo, and it means in the presence of God or before the face of God. And what they would remind people to do is to seek to live every moment of every day, corum Deo, in the presence of God. My prayer for us is that we would know the divine delight of God's presence, that He loves to be with His people, that He has initiated relationship with you through Jesus Christ and invites you to come. And that we would come moment by moment, day by day, week by week, enjoying but also trembling at the greatness of who he is that God would draw near to us. How amazing. Our Lord and God, how incredible it is that you, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who spoke and called all things into being. The one who is worshipped and adored by angels. God, that you would delight to meet with us. Thank you that through Christ, 
you welcome us into your presence with open arms. Lord, may we come knowing and enjoying and experiencing your presence. And Lord, may we come trembling at your greatness. Not from fear, because you have promised that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But rather, from a glimpse of the utter splendor of who you are. Open our eyes to see and know and enjoy your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, again, thank you for taking time to be with us this morning. I want to leave us with this blessing. So I was reflecting on the words that God spoke to Joshua. He said, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I pray that as we go from here, whatever we face today and this week, that you would not be frightened, that you would not be dismayed, but in each moment of each day, that you would know the presence of the Lord, for He is with you. God bless and have